And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. <laughs> your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year. Banner 12 plus 6 here. Carson was top rookie. I'm saying it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum and Hay with a brown. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up to date. You heard? <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, player. She. Welcome to Anything is Potable! The Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host. Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, and we are coming to you moments before the Celtics start their five-game West Coast trip, coming off a pretty uh, eventful weekend in which they lost a one-point game to the Los Angeles Lakers. We will talk about the Lakers game. We'll preview the West Coast trip a bit. But the first thing we got to talk about is the heart and soul of this Celtics team strained his left calf. And it's not good. Marcus Smart had a gruesome injury, especially in slow-mo. It was so gross. Uh, and I thought it was going to be much, much worse. So when the news came out that it was only a left calf strain, and he's only going to be out two to three weeks, I think there's a lot of Celtics fans who were rejoicing. but not good news for the Celtics who have already had kind of had bad injury luck to start the season. Yeah. And the way that they lack perimeter depth, this isn't good. It's not great. It's a bad time not to have Pritchard too. It's they're very thin now on versatile defenders. They are. I think we're going to see more double big lineup. Oh, more double big coming. The double big worked though uh, in the Lakers game for a little bit. We'll talk about it, that. It's been little. getting better. It's, it's been getting, getting better. better. The thing that's so frustrating, I think that's going to be uh, really bad for the Celtics with Marcus Smart out, is that he is their main defensive guy on the perimeter in terms of just other teams, point guards or ball handlers. I think we saw the Lakers really try to pick on Kemba Walker and get him into switches. Kemba Walker is a solid effort defender but he's just not big enough i think marcus smart allows you to play if marcus smart's your smallest guy we saw some effective lineups um with him and he can switch everything and he's uh he can go up against anthony davis in the post he can defend lebron in the post and it's just i don't know 
you're going to have to get some guys on the court with some playmaking uh, abilities. And that probably means more Jeff Teague. I don't know if that means more Carson Edwards, but just in terms of size on the defensive end, uh, when you do that, it's really going to suffer. And for a team that has struggled defensively this year, um, especially with ball pressure and getting into the ball and ball denial, losing Marcus Smart is going to be a huge issue for them. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're going to need to be solid somehow on the perimeter. I, I think this is, this could be another opportunity for Aaron Neesmith. He has played a few minutes recently. They are going to need somebody else on the perimeter. Jeff Teague, I'm sure will take in some of the minutes. Carson Edwards could Shimmy Ojale probably will. Um, but they, they could use a little more perimeter help right now. And may, maybe Neesmith will step up. Maybe he'll start making some shots. Maybe he'll grow a little more comfortable defensively. I, so. Is it grow more comfortable or like get more defensive awareness? He did play down the stretch in the fourth quarter after smart went out against the Lakers. And I was, uh, it was like, a, I think a good sign that, Brad Stevens trusted him, but he still looks a little lost out there. Uh, just like getting out, getting around screens or simple things like communicating and be on switches. It's going to be tough, but I agree. I think his size is probably a better fit than running Carson Edwards out there or Jeff Teague. I mean, we're, it's, it's just Celtics fans get used to it. Now you're going to see a lot more minutes from Jeff Teague. That's just the way the kind of rotation is. But I think in trying to replace that size, you're going to have to go with Neesmith or someone just a, a bit bigger, maybe just more Shemi Ojale, more uh, Javante Green. But I think in terms of just size uh, and putting size on ball handlers, you're going to need someone like that rather than kind of the smaller guards they already have. Yeah, and this is another sign that the Celtics could use more help. They could use another perimeter player. They could use another perimeter player when they're fully healthy, but anytime they're shorthanded, it's just really tough on Brad Stevens to put enough guards and wings out on the court. And that that's part of the reason why he's used the two center lineups as much as he has this season, because he just thinks that they're better players than his some of his gar- backup guards and wings. J.J. Redick. We got to talk about the J.J. Oh. Redick dude. Go ahead to say say with a report from Shams, but I'm so out on J.J. Redick. Yeah, Shams Sharania reported recently that the Celtics are among the teams that are potential trade targets for J.J. Redick. Can we talk about how those teams were defined? Because I believe Shams said the Pelicans are targeting the Northeast region. And it's because J.J. Redick will tell anyone that he lives in Brooklyn now. He wants to be closer to home. And so the teams in the Northeast region are the targets. It's not a re- regionally, it's not a, a target thing for trades that I thought was going to happen. But on that list are the Celtics, the Nets, and the Philadelphia 76ers. And let me tell you, I want no part of JJ Redick. He's a three point specialist shooting what? 28% from three. He is 6'4", cannot guard up, and is probably too old at this point to actually guard his position. For a team that needs defensive help, it's just not the guy you waste any sort of capital on or any sort of assets or waste the trade exception on. He's he's once was a very good three-point shooter. It's unclear if he is still a three-point sh- like great three-point shooter, and he's not going to help you on defense whatsoever. Yeah, I think... I think if the Celtics can 
could somehow pick him up off the buyout market. He has dropped out of the rotation in New Orleans if he ends up getting bought out by whatever chance and nobody decides to trade for him, then I think he he could help. They they could use another shooter. They could use more spacing. Their bench right now is, I believe, last in three-point attempts per minute played among all benches. So the supporting cast just really doesn't have many outside shooting threats. Redick, even though he hasn't shot the ball well over his 14 games or 15 games, whatever it is this season, he's still one of the most feared shooters in the league. It's like the Kyle Korver effect where no matter how he's shooting, teams are going to be up in his chest and he's going to command a lot of attention. So I think from that perspective, he could help. I do agree with you that trading capital and trading assets, whether it's part of the trade exception, draft picks, whatever else, um, I, I think the Celtics should prefer a younger player um, rather than a 36-year-old who has fallen out of the rotation in New Orleans. In New Orleans. It's not like there's just a bunch of world beaters out there who are like playing that much better than him. Like, yeah, but but they're also like a, a younger team that has reason to go away from a 36-year-old. That's fair. I just think the Celtics are going to basically go as far as their defense takes them. I think with the talent of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker, if he can kind of uh, get back to shooting the way we know he can, I don't think the offense is going to be the question. I think they need to have, uh, and we talk about their wing depth so often, but they like, they need to have guys who can come in and play defense and guard multiple positions. And JJ Redick is not that he's not a versatile defender. He's basically someone you he can run around a lot and can chase around other guys who do the same. I just don't think he's, someone you go and waste a lot of uh basically any like trade exception on but the thing if he gets to the buyout market i think there's he's probably more likely to go to the sixers where he's has kind of a connection he like him and joel Embiid play well together or maybe the nets because they're um the kind of flashier team and he's going to be wide open the nets defense would be electric with jj it can't get any worse. Did you watch any of the game, the Nets Wizards game, the one forty? I, I I saw the highlights, um, and I saw Kyrie saying that he couldn't guard a stick or something like that, which was he a didn't even quote. he didn't even try. I mean, it's wild because the Wizards were trying. Like Joe Harris was just feasting in that, so I can imagine that JJ Redick would knock down a lot of sh- uh, shots and be very open playing for the Nets. I think there's like more of a good fit there, but again. The Nets are looking for defensive help. And so maybe it's the Sixers. Who knows? And all of this sounds like I don't even it does sound like the Pelicans want to trade Lonzo and JJ Redick. I think that's why those rumors are out there. But also kind of feels like those three destinations are being pushed by JJ Redick because he wants to go back to the Northeast. But I don't know. I think there's better quality targets out there for the trade exception. Although Celtics Twitter's favorite trade exception target, Aaron Gordon, just uh, sprained his ankle and will be out four to six weeks. And so that might adjust things. Um, but it's just an ankle sprain, bro. Four to six weeks. I mean, are you going to trade for an injured guy? When is the new trade deadline? It's sometime in March, right? Sometime like four to six weeks from sometime, now? Yeah, sometime <laughs> after, around the time he gets healthy again. That's a fair point. Fair point. Um, it's going to be like, interesting to see how they evaluate the roster because they really haven't. They've hadn't had a one game with their full roster. I know the last two games is the closest they've been, but I'm going to say fast PP being out is uh, still relevant. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, and getting back to Marcus Smart, which we talked about kind of the uh, deficiencies that's going to lead to on the defensive end. I think it might actually have a bigger impact on the offensive end of the court because he is the team's leader in assists. He seems to be the guy the Celtics give the ball to in their half-court offense. And if they don't have anything going, they just go to Marcus Smart, pick and rolls, and he's able to get into the paint and make something happen like no one really else on the team is. And it's not always Marcus Smart scoring himself, but it's he seems to have a knack for finding the right big man or finding cutting guys. I just think his offense is people focus so much on his defense because he's all NBA level, but his offense is uh, really come strides. And I think he's kind of the, the most reliable playmaker passer on this team right now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it'll help Kemba a little bit, get a better rhythm. Um, maybe the ball will be in his hands more often just because the Celtics don't have such a high assist guy in the lineup. Um, I, I do think they'll they'll miss Marcus Smart on both sides of the court. It's not just a defense type thing, but and it, it's just it's it's really hard for them to replace guards when guards get hurt. Last year they were so it was almost seamless when guys sat out. It was like okay, they have they have more depth. They have another six seven wing, or they had Marcus Smart to plug into the starting lineup. Or when Smart was out, they didn't have to change their starting lineup at all. So they're just—it's a lot harder for them to get by, I think, when they're a little short-handed. And they've—they've they've been short-handed every single game this season, if you count, you know, Peyton Pritchard being out as short-handed, and he's in the rotation. So I guess you probably should, but but they've usually been down a starter, and and I do think it's—it's it's just a lot harder for this team to get by when they don't have all their top guys. I do like your initial point, the little positive spin that it might be helpful for Kemba Walker because he had a one for 12 shooting performance, which was not great. Uh, he missed the final shot at the buzzer, which is kind of a classic Kemba. We've seen him make that a number of times, but I went back and watched the game and there was no like, it's not like Kemba got chances on consecutive possessions. I think back to when Kemba was with the Hornets and he was dropping 60 on the Sixers and just like cooking the Celtics for 20 points in a quarter where the offense was all Kemba all the time. And he basically was solely responsible um, for scoring the points for his team on this Celtics team. That is not his role. His role seems to be setting up Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum at this point. And I do think it affects his rhythm just in terms of like trying to get his shot going. We've seen him, have some like decent games uh, early in this comeback where he knocks down four threes in a quarter and you can see him knock down one and kind of get the rhythm going. He has that bounce and I think he's more effective against the Lakers. It seems like he had to pick and choose his spots and it really did not work for him. Uh, the thing that's slightly concerning for me is Montrez Harrell blocked the shit out of him at least three, at least twice, maybe three times. I don't know if Kemba has lost a step in his age or just the Lakers had a really good defense that night, but 
He's not really getting to the rim and getting free throws. I think there was some ridiculous stat that since he's been back, he's only had 14 free throws. Uh, and so his ability to get by guys, I think, might be a bit diminished. I'm not as concerned about his shot making, but I do think there needs the Celtics need to do more to get him in a rhythm because just coming off and being the third option, especially with a minutes restriction, I don't think is serving him well. Yeah, no, I, w- I wonder if it's too much in his mind that Tatum and Brown have taken control of the team. And he's such a good teammate. He's so intent on helping those guys thrive and kind of getting out of their way that I wonder if that's backfired on his own production a little bit and therefore backfired on the team. Kemba at his best is aggressive. Kemba at his best is looking for his shot. Kemba at his best will fire on a stop on a dime and fire from three point range and go fearlessly to the rim. And, and it's, it's probably tougher to find that balance for him while he's trying to stay off of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's toes. And so I, I just think as, as committed as he is to helping those guys, um, it's still going to be an adjustment for him. Uh, And if you look at the stats last season, when Tatum was on the court with Kemba, Tatum's usage rate dropped way down. When Jalen was on the court with Kemba, his usage rate dropped, and it's increased from where it was at that point last season too. So, like, if he does take a backseat, if he does want those guys to get as many opportunities, like, there just won't be as as many touches for him. And that's just something he's going to have to get used to, something he's going to have to – kind of take control of and I I do think he has to be more aggressive looking for his own look sometimes yeah after the game against the Lakers he said it was his like missing all those shots was getting to him and he kind of was in his own head and so I wouldn't be too surprised if he's just not like in the right rhythm or is deferring um to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown it's tough to say that like maybe they should get more options for Kemba just because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are playing out of their minds right now. And in the game against the Lakers combined for 58 points and were both phenomenal in that game, um, both shooting crazy efficient. Uh, but it feels like if they need or going to be where they need to be, maybe it's just like running a couple possessions at the start of the quarter for Kemba. I definitely think he'll probably get that opportunity now that smarts out, but it definitely, it changes the way, you would think that Brad Stevens is going to stagger the lineups where he seems to have gone a lot of um, Tatum in the bench lineups. And maybe now it's um, Kemba will get uh, a shot to basically trying to just get his own because uh, and play with the bench or try to create his own shot just because they're going to need more playmaking with especially Mark uh, Marcus Smart out. And so maybe it is an opportunity for Kemba to get kind of his rhythm going, his feet back under him. Just roll Kemba out there with like, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, Shemi, Shemi and, and Javante. And yeah, yeah, or Javante, and just just say, go get 40, Kemba. Just force him to get 40. Yeah, it's basically just run high pick and roll with Kemba and just like have him pull up for mid-range and just get him going because then you can bring in back Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in, and they're going to need more from than four points from him. Like he, They played a, a damn good game against the Lakers. I think that's what's lost in – the loss to the Lakers was obviously there's a lot of talk about smarts injury. Celtics Twitter was very upset with Kemba Walker, but for a team that I thought was struggling defensively, 
um, especially going in playing basically toe to toe with the Lakers, uh, a very close game uh, end to end. I thought they played pretty well. And on the defensive end, despite the fact that Anthony Davis seemed to be able to score at will, I thought the Celtics did a damn good job and holding the Lakers to 96 points. I thought it was a pretty impressive performance for them. Even with Kemba going well for 12 from the field, I just thought the rest of the team played uh, phenomenal basketball. I am going to throw a stat out there. And I want you to tell me if it concerns you. The Celtics this year are getting pummeled in fourth quarters. Absolutely pummeled in fourth quarters. I think their net net rating, I'm trying to find it right now, but their net rating is like negative 10 in fourth quarters. And in, in their losses, it's like negative 23. How bad does that concern you? Do you think that will just iron itself out over time? Where do you stand on that? And are you surprised to hear that? I am not surprised to hear that because – Like they only scored 17 points in the fourth quarter last night. And the reason why it's concerning and again, not surprising is because that feels like the same thing that plagued this team um, down the playoff stretch last year, where they had leads in the fourth quarter and would give them up both to the Raptors and Heat. net rating is negative 10.7 in fourth quarters. Yeah, that is not great. Uh, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because the game kind of slows down a bit and they can more of a slower half court offense? And I don't know. I, I'm kind of like, I'm a bit surprised by that stat, but I can't pinpoint a reason as to why that is. I know they lost Marcus Smart in the fourth quarter of the game against the Lakers, and it felt like they turned like had a number of sloppy and dumb turnovers. Uh, but then we're able to kind of score six points in the final minute and 30 seconds to kind of make that a game. And so they have this ability to score in the clutch. I thought Jason Tatum had two excellent buckets down the stretch against the Lakers, but I don't know what their, what the exact reason is for that fourth quarter slippage. One thing I can think of is that Brad Stevens runs out some ridiculous lineups to start the fourth quarter. It feels like that's prime time experimentation zone uh, where he'll start the fourth quarter with, just whatever whatever scrubs he needs to get by so he can get Kemba and Tatum and Brown back in the game around the six-minute mark. And it always, at least the past couple of games, feels like the start of the fourth quarter has been some real real head-scratchers from Brad. But I don't know if that's directly contributing to a minus 10 net rating in the fourth quarters. That's that's a scary number to think about. Yeah, it is a scary number. And and part of it was they lost by 19 to the Nets in the fourth quarter. That one loss against Brooklyn just got hammered. Um, but they, I mean, they've, they've lost some, some leads. They were up by seven against the Lakers going into the fourth quarter, lost by one. They were up by, they were up by six against the 76ers lost by eight because they got beat by 14 in the fourth quarter. They were up by two going into the fourth quarter against the Spurs lost by four. So it has been bad. It has been very damaging to their record and they need to figure that out. I I do. I am with you that part of that is just the lineups and, and Brad just like you said, trying to steal minutes before putting his, 
top guys back in the game, but they need to figure that out. They need to figure it out quick. Be, that, that's an issue that's popped up now several times, and it's it's cost them a few wins. Do you think it's just like late game execution on offense? Uh, do you think it's just not being able or like executing on the defensive end? It feels like my my initial thought was that is I was like, oh yeah, the game slows down in the fourth quarter. There's a lot more timeouts, stoppages of play, which means half court offense. And I just don't think that's when the Celtics are playing their best offensive basketball and they're over-reliant on Tatum and Brown to kind of create their own shots. It worked out kind of in the Lakers game when um, Tatum was able to do that down the stretch. But before those six points in the final 30, like or minute 30 seconds, they only scored 11 points basically in the first 10 minutes of that quarter. And so it wasn't great. There was a lot more turnovers. It's just it's their half court offense has not been good. And so combine that with Marcus Smart being out, it could be a, a shaky road trip for the Celtics uh, if these trends continue. Gonna be a tough road trip, but yeah, that, that's that. It just popped out at me because I realized they'd blown some leads lately, and so I went and checked, and I was like, "Holy shit, they have been incredibly bad in fourth quarters." I didn't realize it was that bad. Their offense, I think, is is scoring at a pace that would be league worst um, over the full regular season during fourth quarters. So it's just been kind of a destructive quarter for them this year and that's not normal i feel like most of the time brad's teams have been very good at fourth quarter offense um but but this year not so much and they've actually been okay in crunch time minutes um but that's more defensively their offense hasn't been good in crunch time minutes either so they've got some things to work on and i'm gonna chalk it up to brad experimentation and that the reason why I say that is solely to transition to my next talking point, which is more Brad experimentation with the lineups. The double big lineup has returned. It's just got a new face in there. And we saw a lot of minutes of Robert Williams and Daniel Tice in the game together. I think primarily because the Lakers are a huge team and Anthony Davis refuses to play center. And so often you'll have Anthony Davis in there with Marcus Gasol or Montrez Harrell. Montrez Harrell had a heck of a game, a real, real low key 16 points for Montrez Harrell. He was fantastic. He also had uh, three block shots. That's besides the point, but we saw the return of the double big and it seems like the two preferred big uh, men at this point are Tice and Time Lord. I feel like if you're power ranking the bigs right now, Tice is clearly the cream that has risen to the top. Time Lord's uh, played pretty solid. And then I think many runs below that, has been Tristan Thompson, who I frankly has been a giant disappointment. What is your thoughts on the kind of state of the Celtics big man rotation right now? Yeah. I mean, I think especially while smarts out, they'll continue to play all three of those guys. Recently, Thompson has been trending down and he has, I don't think he's been trending down because I think he's just started down and has been there the entire season. He has not, what positive game has Tristan Thompson had? I think he had a, a double double twice. Yeah, he hasn't scored in double digits in like a month, and that's not necessarily his role, but it's just kind he of indicative of the lack of threat he's put on the rim this year. He doesn't do anything on offense. I went back and watched all of his possessions. Yeah, he's how many times next- are you going to say I went back and watched? I'm going to I'm going to say it again. You've I went back, and, back and watching. I go back and watch it. I wanted to be prepared. And he doesn't 
He didn't, he doesn't roll to the rim. He sets a pick and then doesn't do anything. And it's just not conducive to good offense. We see Daniel Tice is able to pop, uh, is able to run to the rim. He's fine space in the uh, kind of gaps in the defense. Uh, Time Lord, obviously, uh, vertical spacing is definitely a threat on the pick and roll. I don't know what Tristan Thompson's role is other than kind of hanging out in the dunker spot and getting offensive rebounds. And it feels like when the Celtics are running their best offense, they really like start the possession with uh, the big doing something up top. And if Tristan Thompson's not going to put pressure on the rim after either a dribble handoff or setting a pick, he's just kind of useless out there and has basically run a guy into the middle of the floor. It's just his, I don't know. I've not seen, I can think of like three solid pick and roll plays with Tristan Thompson this year and just him not really having an impact on the defensive end, I mean, on the offensive end. And then it's not like he's been a stud shutdown defender on the defensive end. It makes you question why the Celtics use their entire mid-level exception um, on a third big guy, especially when there's wing deficiencies all over this roster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to counter You're speechless. You're speechless. Normally I'm the positive guy and you're the negative one, but you can't to, to counter that. I would say that Robert Williams has been iffy, especially before this season, um, both in his play on the court and his availability. So I, I think going out and getting another big man was, it wasn't like misguided to do that. I also think by the time Hayward decided to sign with Charlotte, the options for going out and getting a wing were very limited. So that is a fair point. So that, that would be one response to that. Um, I think it's fair to wonder if, if the Celtics should have been more aggressive about pursuing a sign and trade with Indiana. Um, Oh, you're one of those guys. Oh, those I'm guys just saying, I, I don't know whether Hayward would have, Except that it was obviously exactly. his exactly. You don't know, and so the rampant speculation that they should have been more aggressive is is reckless, J. King. You I don't know what was going to wonder if they should have been more aggressive, but you don't know I mean, how aggressive they were. What if Hayward was Hayward got hundred and twenty million dollars? They could have been super aggressive. They could have been like a bull that just got its nuts squeezed in. Um, what is that, Matador? Uh, Bullfighting. That's a level of aggression. That's for this simile or metaphor, but. Now I've lost my train of thought because I started talking nonsense. I'm sorry. You continue. No, but Tristan Thompson, <laughs> his lack of finishing at the rim has been very apparent. He is, I, I mean, he shoots almost all layups, dunks, and floaters. He only has and seven it, dunks all year, by the way. So he hasn't been dunking it very much. He uh, has no vertical spacing. He, he just does not space the floor vertically or horizontally. In no plane does he provide spacing. And it's frustrating because that is key to being a good offensive team. He does not shoot the ball well. All he has is little jump hooks that are just not great. Um, I mean, Ennis Cantor was more of an impact offensive are player. Are you yearning for Ennis Cantor? I don't think yearn is the right word. Maybe pining. I might be pining for Ennis Cantor. I mean, Ennis Cantor, at least you knew what you were going to get from it. Like there was, you knew the defense was going to be terrible but you knew that he was going to get you like eight points and his like offensive production was consistent. 
for Tristan Thompson, it's just been a wash for this entire time. I know he has to take some time to like play and get into the, involved in the system, and he didn't exactly have training camp because of his uh, hamstring injury. Those are all built-in excuses, but man, for a guy you're going to spend your full mid-level on, you kind of expect more production at this point, uh, and you definitely expect him not to be the third best big on the roster. Wham! Bam! Thank you, ma'am. Wham! You are fed up with Tristan Thompson. Yeah, I, I, you know, want you want to know why? Because I went back and watched the tape, <laughs> and it just wasn't good. And so, yeah, I just don't think he's been very good. And considering how many podcasts, I think it's been thirty-five podcasts in a row where we talked about the lack of wing depth. It's just been frustrating to be like that was their major addition this offseason when it feels like they could have addressed somewhere else on the roster. The, yeah. Yeah, but like I said, Hayward put them in a bad place by waiting as long as he did. By then, there just weren't many dudes available. That's a fair point. All right. Now, but it is not ideal that most of the Celtics' best players are either point guards or centers. This is very true. With now, the exception of Taylor. Yes. Now, I also went back and watched the tape again. I'm going to say it again because you brought it up. Because we needed to do a potable six-pack. And this is a very special potable six-pack because it's the first time we are doing it with our new sponsor, Night Shift Beer. That's right. We are sipping on Santilly IPA made from Night Shift Brewing over on the Santilly Highway in Everett. It's basically right down the street, one of my favorite places to go pre-pandemic. It's a crazy delicious beer with crisp, big grapefruit and pine flavors made by locals. Um, and the recipe was actually crowdsourced. Um, Night Shift's a great local company started by some Bowdoin College guys. If you know anything about Bowdoin College, it produces smart fellas like me. Um and they had a contest for everyone to come up with their best IPA. Night Shift made a bunch of IPAs, and so all the people voted. They voted for Santilli. Jay drinks Santilli. I drink Santilli. It's delicious. And so uh, support Night Shift because they're supporting us, and they're supporting the Potable Six Pack. I am so pumped that they are sponsoring us because their beer is awesome. And if you guys live in Boston during – it's nice out. They have over on the Charles River, the Esplanade. They have a little, little what's it called? The, the Owl's Nest. Night the shift. Owl's Nest. Owl's Nest. Yeah. That that thing's awesome. Right on the water. Beautiful views. Beautiful beer. Can't, can't do better than that, especially during COVID. Be outside. Be socially distant and drink great beer. Also, Fantilly. if, also if you're going shift. to Celtics games, they have a little... um. Long Wharf, they have a little brew house and coffee shop basically right there next to the garden. A great place to go before and after the game. I love everything about Night Shift. I'm um, honored to be drinking their beer. If you want some Night Shift beer or some Santilli, you can get it pretty much all over Massachusetts. It comes in four packs with the Tall Boys, or you can get 12 packs. So you can do whatever you want. It's bold flavored beer, and it pairs great with big, bold foods. And if you want to grab some near you, go to nsbeer.co slash beer finder. You plug in your zip code and it'll tell you a nearby store that carries it. That is nsbeer.co slash beer finder. It's pretty sweet. And join this Santilli. Jay, I'm going to take a long sip from my uh, beverage while you get the first pick in the potable six pack. 
That is fantastic. Swig it. Swig it. Uh, that's refreshment. There you go. Uh, first pick. What are so what are we picking out of? I was gonna do just the Lakers game, but anything it's it's one fourth of the way through the season. Let's do from the first quarter of the season. Oh wow. Well, I was not prepared for that. I went back and watched only the Lakers game. I'm only prepared to talk about the Lakers game. Now you're gonna have to go deep into the confines of your mind. Okay, let's do it. You're going first. Peyton Pritchard put back. Game winner. Woo! And, and not, not just that, but the reaction to the Peyton Pritchard game winner. Evan Turner saying he, he reacted like he won a spelling bee. That's the good stuff. I think that was maybe the best moment the Celtics have had this year. It's definitely up there. I think it's the, like the great with how much the fast PP hype was building before that, and he just absolutely was perfect for that moment. There's a, a win the Celtics needed against the Heat, who I just don't like. I don't like Heat culture, and so it was very nice to see Fast PP do that. Um, so I'm going to have to say, yeah, that's a great first pick. Um, for my first pick, this is definitely recency bias. And definitely just because it was already on the top of my list for the Lakers game. But that Jason Tatum behind the back pass to Time Lord yesterday was pretty fucking cool. That was dope. Just a dope pass. Do you think he knew that, like, Robert Williams was cutting down the court? Or do you think he was just basically flinging that behind his back? Because it was perfectly placed. And I'm trying to determine how much credit to give Jason Tatum for that because it was the last time you saw Jason Tatum throw a pass to nobody. It's happened a number. I only when Nick nurse is standing in the corner. What about twice at the end of the Spurs game in the first half where he threw the ball away twice and it led to six points for the other team. Yeah, but he, he he typically, he knew he was there. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) He absolutely knew he was there down, went full nonchalant about it after the game. Kind of acted like, oh, yeah, I was throwing it to a 6'11 dude who can run and jump. So I just, it was really easy play. Like, easy, bro. All right. Well, that's it what I'm trying to say. Play. Like, he didn't take much credit for it, but it looked like it was delivered dead this on. The thing about Tatum, he always acts like he's been there before. Even if he's never thrown that beautiful pass, he was going to act like he did it a million times. That is fair. Um, the next pick for me, I'm trying to narrow it down between two Jalen Brown volume scoring performances. There's the 42 points he scored against Memphis in that huge blowout win, which I think is nice, but I think the better performance is actually 33 points in 19 minutes against the Cavaliers. He's just been absolutely phenomenal from mid-range just a great score this all this entire season deserves to be an all-star and so the general pick is just him being a collectively a great scorer this year but to identify one game i think i'm gonna go 33 points 19 minutes something that has never been done before i like that i like that i'm gonna go with one of the themes of the early season and that's brad stevens just being frustrated with his defense he has been pissed off. He has been heated. He has been disappointed. And he has regularly talked about it. It has He's, been just... Can't stop a nosebleed. Can't hold down the fort. Uh, just disip- not competing. Con- not enough consistency. Every way Brad Stevens has figured out to kind of disparage his team 
for a lack of solid performance. Yeah, and they're up to 10th in the defensive efficiency rankings. Up to 10th. So they're they're getting a little better, but still still not great and definitely still lacking compared to the standard Stevens normally has for his teams. Um what else am I going with here? This is it's tough to pick from an entire season. I I guess the the Tatum Tatum Bank game winner. Oh, you bastard. That was going to be my next pick. <laughs> and and all the talk about how Tatum um was settling too much after he missed one against the Pistons a short time later. That was those were fun times. Fun times in NBA analyst world when everyone was just complaining about Jason Tatum trying not trying to go to the hoop. Yeah, it was a it was a fun start to the season. The bank should definitely should not have gone in. Uh the Celtics looking back at their record, they've lost uh a fair amount of close games and won a, a fair number of close games. Um, and so that fourth quarter uh, stat you brought up and their net rating is, is kind of concerning there. Um, but yeah, no, Jason Tatum turns out he's pretty good and you just, he can never win with this team um, or just at least with the fans out there, because when Marcus smart missed the final shot against the Spurs, they said, Oh, we can't have Marcus smart taking that. Um, but then when Jason Tatum takes his calls his own number, people are also upset about that. Do you feel like fan angst is way bigger than it has been since the Kyrie season? I guess that was just a couple years ago, but it's way up, and it's something that I think I dealt with earlier in the year. Since the team made the Eastern Conference Finals, expectations for the Celtics feel like they're way up, and instead of just like enjoying the ride of the regular season and being like, it'd be cool if the Celtics made it, it feels like there's a lot more pressure on them, at least from a fan perspective to be competitive and winning every single night. And you hear you're like Jason Tatum's a star. Now Jalen Brown's a star. Now you, you want them to win. And I don't know why the fan angst is, is up, but it definitely feels like people are just mad online after games. And I don't know if it's just Pats fans are normally, uh, watching the Super Bowl right now and getting geared up for playoff runs, or like Red Sox fans are just disappointed because they lost Mookie. But it just feels like there's just more and more angry people, especially in. I mean, I I only have like eight thousand followers. You have fifty thousand followers, but like people just coming at you in the mentions of negativity. It feels like that's gone way up this year. Yeah, and Kemba's gotten a lot of it over the last couple of games. A lot of Kemba angst out there right now. So it's out there. People definitely have higher expectations for this team. And I think it's it's pushed that even further that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have been as good as they are. And but people people want wins. People want wins. I feel like a close loss to the Lakers last year at the beginning of the season, people would have been fired up. They would have been so excited about it. Like, like, man, Kemba had a bad game. And they still and they were still this good and and could have won and played really well. But this year, it's like those motherfuckers better finish it. They gotta finish off these wins. It's time to reach the the finals finally for the first time in the Brad Stevens era. Fire Brad, fire Danny, trade Kemba. It's wild. Like they had no business being in the Lakers game. They were down by seven 
with a minute 40 seconds left to play and they did an amazing job getting back into this game i mean come on they were up going into the fourth quarter and blew it it wasn't like they had no business being in the game they had no business blowing the game the way they did eight points in the nba isn't is nothing like they blew that like the first possession the lakers came down and hit a three and then they hit a three on the next possession and immediately it's a ball game again like i don't count that necessarily as a blown lead i do think it's impressive that they were able to come back uh and make it a game when being down seven with a minute and a half to play. But really with the three point shooting, the way it is in the uh, NBA right now, uh, there's no real leads that are safe. I think now that we're talking about it, it's going to be my, my sixth pick for the potable six pack is um, fans being dumb and mad online. The amount of comments I read after that Lakers game, if we go full Kaizen warrior, we put on our Kaizen King hats and we go process over results, that is a win for the Celtics. That game against the Lakers, you play the defending champs, you held them under the 30 points with your defense struggling in all four quarters. You basically are close to the game. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown combined for almost 60 points. You were basically toe-to-toe, and your third-best player uh, shoots one for 12. Oh, and you lose the heart of your soul and your team with a gruesome injury in the fourth quarter, and you still play well enough to uh, win that game, that has to be like a smarter fan would be like, okay, that was a pretty good performance from the Celtics. But these idiots come out after the game and are so angry. And the amount of tweets I saw being like, oh my God, if the Celtics didn't um, knock those two points into their own basket, those four points into their own basket, it really comes into uh, focus now. That is the dumbest thing you can ever say. Like, as soon as they do that, it's a new basketball game. Like if the Celtics didn't win, lose the opening tip, they might've got possession on the first time. Like there's so many different things that happen in a basketball game to narrow it down to one specific thing and be like, well, they lost by one. If this one thing was different, who knows? That's just not how basketball works. Events happen and then they operate in a new reality. It's not like you can just go back and flip the switch and be like, if that one thing happened, you know what? Maybe the Celtics would have won. They got ripped off uh, for a second and a half at the end of the first half because the time started going after a free throw and Jason Tatum didn't get a shot up. Maybe if that didn't happen, that really looms large after a one-point victory. It's stupid. I'm just done with people being stupid online. I don't like it. Packard has had enough. You need you need to have some more Santilli, man. I need to get back into the Santilli because I'm revved up and I need to relax for the evening. Um, Drink more of that night shift, baby. All the listener gods out there should also drink more of that night shift and they should listen to more Anything is Potable. And please, if you like the show, give us a five-star rating review. Tell a friend about it. We are the best Celtics podcast. We have the slightly intoxicated fan perspective coming from me and the well-informed beat reporter dropping just stats out of nowhere from the kid, the god, the legend, Jay King. And so we appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll come back at you later this week to talk about the first two games in the Celtics West Coast Swing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anything Else Potable!